Activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome back to yet another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast, because we don't expire like milk. This week, you are joined by myself, Daniel Cox, and here with me every single week is... It's me, Sam Frost. Hello. I think I did expire like milk quite a while ago, but... Here I am, Power. turning into cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and I realised how close I was to the mic. So if that was really loud for people, Sam's job to fix it in the edit. No pressure. Mm-hmm. Over to you. I'm absolutely not going to fix it in the edit. <laughs> but before we go too deep down the rabbit hole of fixing and milk and all that kind of sour stuff, we have a, di- we have a special guest this week. Yeah, so we this do. week we forego our typical format and we have joining me on the podcast, the wonderful Becca Wilcox. Say hey. hi, Becca. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, hello. How's it going? Hi, uh, good. I, Super I high pitch, though. I have no idea why. Well, so this is the first time we're doing it this way, so it's going to be a bit wacky. I'm going to be a bit off key, but the entire episode is going to be having Becky as a guest. And I'm very excited for you to join us, not only because you are my sister, but because you are a food nut. And yes, nut is also a food. But I prepared a little intro just to let people know a little bit about who you are before you start running your mouth and don't let me finish talking. Becca Wilcox is a qualified level four nutrition and weight management coach focused on removing the stigma around weight loss and fad diets to prove that you can be healthy and still eat all your favorite foods. Through her company, Food Freedom, Becca helps people understand the truth of food so that they can live their healthiest and happiest life. There we go. That is what I do. That is what she does. And she does I'm it very well, speaking as one of Becky's clients. Um, she does do oh, it very well. I'm not laughing at anything that you said about Becca there. I'm laughing at the way you said the last word life. You might reminded me of, is it Matt Berry? Oh, Matt Berry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But Matt Berry, his last name is a food. Flawless segue back into Becca's incredible work. Milk, nuts, berries. What's next? Yeah. Cheese. Legumes. <laughs> Legumes. Hello, I'm Nigel Legume. <gasps> Patent pending. before we dive into grilling becky about all things food nutrition and everything else mindset and how to fuel your author business sam we are jumping straight into word of the week because this is one of my favorite segments i fail every week so far how did you get on with this week's word and what is this week's word um oh my god i sorry my anxiety just made me uh do a silent stutter (laughs) a silent stutter yeah it's where um like my ability to talk gets stuck in the back of my throat and I kind of, I try to make noise. It doesn't happen. Um, and I'm trying to do it repeatedly and it, it makes me look like I'm choking on something. Cause I'm kind of like, um, the word of the week <laughs> this week is obdurate. Mm. Are, are you, are you saying that you failed again this week? I will explain what the word is. I just want to just, just I obdurately failed. <sighs> okay. So, I mean... <laughs> obdurate means um when you stubbornly refuse to like change course or what you believe essentially um which yeah you've you've what did you did you try do you just forget 
With all honesty, no, this week has been an absolute wash for me. So. No excuse. I don't care what's going on in your personal life. This trivial game that I have created should go above everything. <laughs> At one point, I'll get it. I did well on the first week. Did you? Yes. That was a long time ago. I don't remember. I So in the grand scheme of times I've done well, just a titty nope of success. <laughs> okay, fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Did um, you succeed this week? So... Well, I did it, but I failed because the person asked me what it meant. Oh, no. Who was it? Yeah. It was my taxi driver, uh, Ishmael. Well, Uber driver. Um, <laughs> and he's one of... There's a there's a few of them. Um, there is... Oh, I want to say Lupin, but it's not Lupin, but it's something very similar. And Ishmael that um, I get quite often, and they're both lovely guys, and we'll often we'll just have a chat. Um, and he changed his car. So, like, when he pulled up to take me, because I had a hospital appointment, um, I, I didn't realise straight away. And then we started chatting. And I was like, oh, because he's like, how's your son? And I, I went to, like, both punch chair. him and, like, do a diving roll out the car. And then I was like, oh, an Ishmael, hello. Um, and we were talking. And I can't remember exactly, like, the exact sentence. But basically, we were talking about Miles and I, I was... I said that you know he was obdurate and Ishmael was like I've never heard that word before what does it mean and I was like you motherfucker so I the lesson I've learned is to slip it in when you're talking to a stranger because they don't care Mm -hmm. (laughs) or an old lady that's barely listening yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because she's too like concerned about her chip and pin machine yeah Yeah. well congratulations on your half success I think we should probably add some stakes into it so that there's more incentive to remember I don't know. I mean, you say that like I'm the one that's forgetting. You at this point. No, I'm talking for me. I'm telling you a thing that I need. Okay. I need a reason. (laughs) All right. Something, something that just like adds a little bit of extra heat. Nothing ridiculous. Just something enough. Maybe like a lead or something. Um, how about if you fail, you have to eat a single what's it? Oh. (laughs) Be obdurate in answering no. Yay, food topics. Well, let me ask you, Becky, when was, and let me note for viewers, I've known Becca my entire life as Becky, and so that will slip in from me. Becca is her chosen name, so anyone that addresses her, go for Becca, but I have executive privilege as her brother. No, you don't. You just do not. Yeah, you just consider it and you keep saying it wrong. Yeah, yeah. But Becky, when was the last time you were obdurate with something? Which means what again? Just stubbornly refusing won't change your mind yeah even in the face of like undeniable evidence you're just like no i'm a very stubborn person so it's probably today i have ultimate respect for that yeah you have a very obdurate dog as well i do (laughs) it's her and the ball is all that matters and other than that she don't care (laughs) i have respect for that that simple yet like honorable life yeah very very just black and white (laughs) But yeah, so obdurate was our word of the week this week. Last week. Last week. This week's word of the week. Drum roll. Bum bum. I'm going with one of my favourite words just because this is going to be a tricky one to fit into things. And it's oligopoly. I like that word. Oligopoly. It's an amazing word. Oligopoly. Okay. I've never heard it before. Tell me. So oligopoly is, if you essentially think of what a monopoly is, a monopoly is one person owning the entire market share, a duopoly being two people owning a market share, 
And yep. oligopoly is having multiple different companies, people owning a particular market. So for example, the mobile phone industry is a very oligopolistic market because you have Samsung, you have Nokia, you have Vodafone, you have all these different brands that give you a phone. So okay. try to sneak that one in somewhere will be fun. And it's just write that in my media essay at GCSE. Did you? Yes. Did you use that specific word? Yes, because we're on about the film business and the oligopoly of it and how Disney is starting to ruin the oligopoly because it's buying everything. Dun, dun, dun. So yeah, <laughs> oligopoly or oligopolistic or some variant of oligopoly. Nice. Oligopoly. It's nice to say. It, it sounds like a Pokemon. Does... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're playing to my heart there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I will give everyone a win from our community this week. Yes, please. Um, and this week we are celebrating the wonderful Brandy who joined us in our nano camp last November in our 50k writing camp, I should say. Um, and she has officially started revising the project that she wrote during nano 2023. So that project is chugging along and is now being Hell yeah. sprinkled with magic. That's awesome. So kudos, Brandy. Keep it up. Um, and yeah, I guess since we've got you on the, the show, Becky, we should probably look into asking you some questions, plucking your mind and looking at all things food. So before we kind of dive into specific questions, can you tell us a little bit about your journey into food and how you are or how you've gotten to where you are today? Yes. Um, so my journey with food probably started my early 20s. Before that, food was just food and you just ate it. I was going to say, what were you eating before then? No, obviously you eat food, don't you? Everyone eats food. But I didn't think about food. I just ate it and it was what it was. And then I started to put on weight because I went through some stuff in 2021 and got depressed. So I decided to join a gym, which is not food, but it led to food because I got obsessed with going to the gym and exercising and then decided that I needed to learn about food to lose weight. So I started tracking my calories and restricting my food eating very, very little amounts of food because I was living in a shared house and I had no one to watch me and make sure that I was eating stuff. So I just didn't really eat very much. And then what happened after that? Then COVID happened and I couldn't go to the gym and I got very stressed out because I couldn't exercise and that was my obsessive behaviour of wanting to exercise to lose weight and be skinny. And then I started to go through two years of pain because of my gallbladder causing me lots of issues and I didn't know it was my gallbladder and eventually found out that it was and that food was causing the issue which made my relationship with food 10 times harder because I didn't want to eat anything because it hurt and then I got my gallbladder removed and decided to use COVID to study a nutrition course so that I could actually learn about food and understand it and how it works in the body so that I could fix my relationship with it and since then, I've been helping people to overcome their fears of food and to get rid of this stupid mindset that you need to restrict your food or cut out food groups or do crazy things with food in order to lose weight because you really, really, really don't. My eye, you worked with a lot of authors as well at this point. I have, yes. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, and I'm not just saying this because this is an author podcast, they are my best clients. <laughs> Why? I don't know what it is, but they seem to like order and they seem to be able to follow instructions. <laughs> they say they're going to do something and they do it. And that's the best kind of people. <laughs> probably because it's the only order in their lives. Like they, <laughs> they've probably got some kind of like day job that they like don't particularly enjoy. A family um, that either is unruly or that doesn't understand them. 
home life is probably you know how home life is and then they try to fit writing in any kind of like spare time they've got uh the thing that you know they want to do and they're passionate about and then they sit and stare at a screen and want to pull their hair out because you know it's it's difficult and they're just trying to get it down and like nothing makes sense and then you're like so you need to do this and then you can tick a box and they're like Finally, that's <laughs> all you need. Because this is the thing with with food that, particularly, like I know that I struggle with is they're really as much as education systems and that try to I say try to teach you about nutrition. Like I remember seeing a pretty picture at some point with an egg on it. Like the food, as far as I understand it, is very simple, but it's also very complicated. It's a real dichotomy of like how easy it can be to change certain um, habits, certain ways that you think around food, but also how difficult that is to overcome. So can you speak a little bit to, you know, the any challenges when you started going on this journey, when you started changing your foods and looking at what to change, kind of speak about your mindset before and after and how you kind of overcame that. So one of the biggest things is probably that obviously when you grow up, chocolate for example is always seen as like the worst food and mouth instantly salivates yes (laughs) (laughs) and chocolate is just something that is naughty you shouldn't have it it's like a reward thing for when you've done well you have a bar of chocolate and you're like yeah or you're going for a breakup and you have a bar of chocolate because you need it and it's not seen as a nutritional food so when I was doing my course you obviously learn that all food have nutrients in it the only thing that you consume that doesn't have nutrients in it is alcohol other than that everything has got something in it and something from that will be good for you whether it's really good for you or a little bit good for you is obviously the balance but um yeah so I had this mindset of restricting chocolate to only having one at the weekend because as kids that was what we were told we were allowed mm-hmm. and it took me a long time because I wouldn't buy chocolate in the end because I knew if chocolate was in my house I would eat the whole bar I would eat the whole pack I would eat whatever it was it would all go And the only way that I overcome that was learning that if I had and allowed myself to have chocolate every day and got around the mindset of seeing it as a bad food, then it doesn't bother me. It's in the cupboard. Like I always have chocolate in my house now. I have chocolate most days, not every day, but I have a small amount of chocolate and that's enough to satisfy my craving and it doesn't affect my weight and it makes me happy. Mm. And getting over that is just the mindset around food is the hardest thing. <laughs> I know for me in particular, um, I have so much emotion tied in with food. Um, so long, long story, very short. And, you know, we've spoken about this before. When I was um, younger, I was uh, I was brought up in quite an abusive household um, and one of the things that was kind of used and also just generally present because of poverty and neglect was starvation. Um, And when I left that house to to go live with my mum, I was essentially the same weight at almost 10 that I I was at five. Um, I was, I think I was just over two stone underweight for kind of, my age group and and the pictures are not nice um and then when I went to live with my mom obviously you know when I was hungry she's like there's the kitchen obviously I'll make meals and things but like if you're hungry eat and so I went from this kind of 
life in which food was weaponized. And so if I was hungry, it meant I'd done something wrong. And then to being able to eat whenever I wanted, but never feeling worthy of it, like I didn't. So I had this really like strange relationship with food. And obviously that's quite like an extreme um, example, but I know food and emotion go so strongly together. Um, like you were saying there, you know, like chocolate being used as kind of like a treat or, you know, you do well, someone takes you out for a meal, um, you know, you're sad, so let's get some wine, like food and our relationship with it is so much more complicated than like eat to live. Not that I would ever just want to be in that place because, you know, food's amazing. But how do you go about kind of tackling that situation where, you know, your your emotions are so strongly tied to food and you have this notion of this is a bad food, this is a good food. How do you go about, like, starting that journey to try and kind of disconnect your emotions from food so you can eat in a like healthy way for your mind as well as your body I think the first thing is that it is okay to eat for emotions as well like everyone thinks that if you're comfort eating it's a bad thing Mm -hmm. food is a great thing and if you eat it and it makes you feel better that's not a bad thing and you obviously it's easy to say like just don't worry about it yeah but genuinely we shouldn't have to worry about it because it is okay um, but I think the biggest thing with the whole good and bad food is just taking it week by week. So I, with chocolate, would end up adding, I would stop buying chocolate bars and then I would buy like small amounts and just have like one a week and prove that nothing bad happened if I did it. Mm-hmm. And then I would do two a week and whatever, as many as I needed to, to prove that nothing bad was going to happen from it. And I think it is just making that small change even if it's for a week or a month and knowing that nothing bad happens from it, then you start to dissociate the fact that it's a bad food. Mm -hmm. And also, like I said, like learning about that food, looking at what is actually in it, because some foods have a lot more in them than you think they do. Like I always used to think cereal was a really crappy food and you just had it for breakfast and it was just like, for example, I really like Aldi's chocolate pillows. They're really great. (laughs) Oh my God. I love chocolate pillows so much. Yes, (laughs) and I look at them and from the outside you would think, oh, they're not really good for you, but cereal is fortified with all of the vitamins and minerals that a lot of people don't get. So it's actually really good for you. So it's not until you look at that food from a different perspective that it stops being good or bad. Mm -hmm. Then you can see, and even if there isn't anything on it that you think is good, if it's a happy food, it's a good food. (laughs) How do you start that process of of re-education because obviously there's so much information out there and the amount of times I've spoken to people and said like certain things I'm eating and immediately people are like no that's bad for you or no that's good and everyone has their own comment or critique on what isn't isn't good food but I find the minute I say to them where did you get that information people (laughs) so how how do you recommend people find good education on bettering their life with food I think it's hard because like you said there is a lot out there and depending on how you word the question into google will say what people tell you about it mm. um, in terms of the actual food looking at the packaging itself because they have to be honest and they have to tell you what is in it um so that can help you with it other things are like the food health organization website that will help with understanding 
but there aren't a lot of places that will give you an honest answer because they're all biased around trying to push you in one direction or another. Mm -hmm. There is not one right way of eating, for example, because I think it was you actually, Daniel, that sent me a video once about um, someone that had tested the blood sugars in their body and how different foods react in their body. Mm -hmm. And some people can eat rice and it will spike their blood sugar and other people it does nothing. Some people can eat ice cream and it spikes their blood sugar and other people it doesn't. Everybody's bodies are different. So there is not one diet that will suit everybody. Therefore, you can't just Google what is the best thing because there isn't. You have to find what the best thing is for your body, what makes you feel good, what makes you feel energized. On that, obviously, we are well, we're just into February now. It's the second as we're recording this. Obviously, the diet industry is disgusting and gross and preys on women in particular all year round. But my God, do they love January. Um, And so, you know, especially on social media, constantly I'm seeing just, you know, women in fitness gear looking like they've never seen a carbohydrate in their life. Um. And, you know, it promising me that in 28 days, I too could look like this, which always makes me laugh because I'm like, you don't know what I look like now. <laughs> how, like, how can you promise me? Anyway, obviously it's all built on shame and fear and kind of this idea that, you know, if you don't look like this, you you don't fit and you're wrong and gross and all the rest of it. But in amongst these things, um, I saw an advert and I've seen it before and we've spoken about it before. I think the product's called Zoe, um, this one particular one, and there's different, I think, slightly different versions of it. And essentially what it is, um, is like this, it's like a monitoring system. You kind of like plug it into your arm. It's like a little injection that you wear for like a month or something like that. And it kind of feeds back into an app. Like when you eat, it shows you kind of like the different spikes and essentially what you were just saying, like how your body works differently and I think like from that it kind of tailors either like a diet as a diet as in um food that we eat not a diet as in like a restrictive diet Mm -hmm. I hate that I have to like make that (laughs) difference um and I was wondering like as a nutritionist what your opinion on those things are because you know a lot of the time these things look good on the surface and from what I've seen, it looks it looks cool. Um, I mean, it ain't cheap, but it looks cool. Um, influential influencers promoting it. Yeah, Davina McCall was the one that was shouting at me when uh, I was just doom scrolling. So I just wonder what your like opinion on these things are, especially from um, a perspective of someone that you know had a very unhealthy relationship with food. You know, I've struggled a lot myself with like binge eating and that kind of thing as well. So like, are these things good for us or or do you think no? I think it depends how you are as a person. If you're quite an obsessive person, no, like you don't need to know every single thing about your body and how it works. You just need to let some things be. If you are someone that genuinely likes to understand how and why for things then they're great tools um like I was reading it was a book so it works in this podcast hey (laughs) the mind gut connection and it is a very good book because it explains how it's not just about the food you eat like 
you have so many microbiomes in your body and your stomach that do different things and everyone's got different ones depending what eat food you've eaten to mm. in order to enable what's in your stomach and that all connects differently with your brain so you'll have different feelings different emotions like i said your blood sugar levels will be different to somebody else's all because of what is in your stomach mm-hmm. having those kind of devices can be good because like i said you might eat rice and it makes you feel really good other people eat rice and they're hungry in the next 10 minutes or they feel really bloated like everybody is different so learning those things could be helpful but again, we are never, ever going to understand how our bodies do with, like digest and handle food because it is such a complex process. Um, and yeah, if you're someone that's obsessing, that is just another layer to obsess with. Yeah. Bringing it round specifically to obviously a lot of our audience are authors, probably most, if not all, I would say, potentially. Um, <laughs> you don't start the activated authors podcast and get people from other places. Um, what are some common uh i don't want to say mistakes but what are some common things that you see that people could correct easily and what are some things very easy things that people could do to put in place to help themselves when it comes to engaging their mind sitting down and being able to activate themselves to write i would say the biggest thing that writers in specifically struggle with is how long you leave it between a meal Mm. snacking is your best friend (laughs) like everyone has this negative opinion of snacking and that it's going to make you put on weight snacking keeps your metabolism going it helps maintain your blood sugar levels so then you don't get as stressed or as annoyed it helps you feel happier and it keeps you going it gives you energy so your brain's going to think better you won't have to rely so heavily on caffeine which a lot of you do (laughs) (laughs) no hints there daniel (laughs) hey i'm good with mine now I was going to say you and got better. <laughs> Dan's not the one that, that needs that needs that. But. Um. So yeah, snacking is the best thing you can do. I'm not saying eat every ten minutes, but realistically, you should be having something every two to three hours in order to maintain your blood sugar levels, and that will help you massively with how your brain is functioning. That's fascinating. I love like that was not where I thought you'd go with that. Where did you think I would go? I, th- I thought the instant would be straight to coffee or water, but obviously, as I say, you've worked with quite a few authors now, and just a nice little insight into. Because I well, guess you we, get we, so we buried, you get so buried in your computers that you don't get up and eat. <laughs> no, we get very hyper fixated on on what we're doing, and once you actually hit that flow and get lost in it, it's very easy for time just to pass. So I, it, yeah. it makes sense. It does it's almost yeah. like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered how long it would take until it devolved to this. (laughs) (laughs) And for people not watching on YouTube, if you want to see the colour of a strawberry, look at my sister's face. But it just happens. (laughs) It's who I am. It's fine. We're good. We're good. Um, Sam, your question. That's a dick thing to say. (laughs) All right. He's really pasty, so it don't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) And that's coming from a ginger. Like, you are paler than me, and yet I am the ginger one. This is true. So, circling back. What are what are some other things? Obviously, you mentioned there um, coffee is an issue. What is it specifically about coffee that can affect negatively a writer's concentration? So firstly, I don't hate coffee. Coffee can be a great tool. Caffeine is great for your body to help you focus and stimulate you to keep going. It's how much you have and when you have it. So my biggest thing that no one seems to know about, so I tell everybody, is that you should never have caffeine with food because it prevents you from absorbing iron. And iron is the thing you need in order to feel energised. 
So if you are someone that has coffee with your meal or you'll make your lunch and a cup of tea or whatever, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Have them, but as two separate things, like make sure you leave half an hour either before or after your food before you have your caffeine because otherwise you're just stopping your body from absorbing all the good things. Um, And now I've lost another chain of thought. Did I say there was two points? No. Maybe. I think the the big thing is about eating when you have it and how much. Yeah, so that's where you have how much you have. So the guidelines are you should have no more than two cups of caffeinated coffee a day. Decaf is different. Mm -hmm. And with cups of tea, it's five cups of tea because there's a lot less caffeine in them. Um, But the reason that they say that and it would affect you negatively as a writer is if you have too much caffeine, your heart rate will increase massively. Your blood rate will increase like you will not be able to focus as much because your brain will just be doing this all the time, like an excited kid in your brain. Going, <laughs> and then you're able to focus on one thing and then you crash. <laughs> and not only do you crash, you get really reliant on caffeine. So you then have to have more and more and more and more in order to get you to the place you were at with just one coffee. Mm-hmm. So weaning yourself down is difficult and you will get headaches because your body is adjusting, but it is the best thing you can do. And is it, I heard that um, caffeine is cumulative. So like if you have, say, you know, you have, you you regularly have like five, six cups of coffee a day, which obviously is going to, like you say, have the effects and it's not going to exactly be, you know, helpful for sleep anyway. But I heard that um, it, it builds in the body during the day as opposed to kind of, you know, once like it leaves and then it doesn't affect your sleep like even if you have like a rule oh I don't drink coffee after two but you have like 10 before two like it's still going to affect your sleep because it it like stacks on itself is that true or is that like a Facebook thing it's basically like alcohol like when you have alcohol it doesn't matter how many units you have it will still take half an hour per unit to get it out of your system coffee is very much the same tea is very interesting because again it's less caffeine but the you do wee out caffeine when you're going to the toilet, but people that tend to drink a lot of coffee tend to not go to the toilets often because it dehydrates you. Mm-hmm. So if you're having a coffee and a glass of water, then you would wee out that caffeine a lot quicker. Whereas if you're just drinking coffee and not having water, it will stay in your body for longer. Especially if you're sat down at a computer not getting up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some... Um good go-to snacky foods that writers could use in that because obviously you said that snacking is a very very useful thing for writers that you don't see a whole lot of what are Mm -hmm. some what are some good snack foods to fill in that void so as you are at your desk i would say having like a little bowl that you have next to you that you can pick at is always good with things like nuts are the best because they take (laughs) up to three hours to like get used properly in your body so they keep you fuller for longer um, obviously fruit is always good like if you made yourself a little bowl of fruit and you picked it through the day um, smoothies can be really good because you can get like if you're someone that struggles to get enough calories in your day having a smoothie that you just sip at you are consuming the calories that you need and with smoothies you can make them to the level of calories you want you can either just do like fruit juices and things or you can add yogurt and oats and things to make them more filling and more calorie dense how about, so I know this is something that I see you do a fair bit, Sam, but even like I, I find that I've tried it a few times and I struggle to maintain it. And don't worry, it's a positive thing. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> meal prepping and batching. Like I know there's particularly someone who is very, very busy and I don't, I don't really like filling my head with having to worry about what food to come and what I'm going to be eating. And so I have gone through phases before of like batching meals and preparing stuff, but then I struggle to keep that going in the long term. Can you mm-hmm. speak to whether that's a useful tactic to employ or whether it's better for kind of just that daily, like what am I eating today? I think batch cooking and meal prepping is the best thing you can do because you're organized and it's there and it's especially if you are a busy person you can grab it saying that I am awful at it I recommend (laughs) it I am bad at it plus I think it depends on you as well if you are someone that doesn't mind eating the same food all week it works if you are someone that wakes up one day and you think I don't want to have spag roll that I had last night it doesn't work because you'll see it's there, you'll eat something else and then you'll feel bad that you've wasted it and it just, you just end up eating more because you feel bad that you've not eaten the thing that you plan to eat. Yeah. So there's there's positives and negatives to it. I would always say that planning is the best thing. So I don't meal prep, but I will wake up that morning and if I, I don't log my food anymore, but if I did, I would log everything into the food thing that day in the morning so that I know what's coming up. I can still change it if I want to change the amounts of things or if my mind changes, but that way I know I'm hitting all of my macronutrients and I'm getting all the things I want. Plus it then lets me see how many calories I've got left for snacks and things, and that always makes you feel happier. And I just think the more you can do in advance, whether it's writing out your meals for the week or tracking your food early or actually batch cooking, it just makes life easier with food. Because a lot boredom and time we either don't want to go and cook because we can't be bothered or we've had such a busy day that we don't physically have the time to make good nutrient dense food so what i'm hearing is that my son in fact is trying to help me when he asks me first thing in the morning what's for dinner (laughs) that is helpful (laughs) or while he's eating dinner what's for dinner tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) one at a time mate one at a time (laughs) So our breakfast first. <laughs> so obviously you you've you've trained to be a nutritionist. I've worked with you on a couple of occasions, and you've done wonders for me. And I've seen you do great things for the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. What is the benefit for people working directly with a nutritionist? Because I going back to when I hadn't had that experience, it was never a thing that crossed my mind because it would always just automatically feel too expensive or too complicated or just like I wasn't someone that needed it. What is, in your words, the best benefits of working with a nutritionist? Well, firstly, I would say that no one would think that they need it because everyone thinks that food is just a normal thing that we should know how to eat. So why do we need to pay someone to tell us how to eat food? However, I would say the main benefit is obviously the same reason they've signed up for your activated offers is accountability, knowing that someone is there to make Mm -hmm. sure you do the thing. But also, as I said, everyone's bodies are different. The amount of calories we need, the macronutrients we need, like two people that weigh the same, that want the same things but have different goals would need a different split of macros depending on what they're doing and how their jobs are and all of those things so having someone even if you just did it for a month to learn about those things it changes everything because once you understand food and you know all of the science behind it you don't fall for any crappy diets anymore because you know they're not making it like they're making it up but also having that coach and investing in yourself means that you've got all the time in the world to achieve the things you want to achieve and it's not just get fit in 28 days and then Mm. 28 days finishes and all of the weight that you lost goes straight back on and you feel crap again (laughs) yeah I hate though I like just I mean 
just in general, anything that promises me, you know, the world in a short amount of time, it makes me angry because I think I know where I was, like, say, 10, 15 years ago, where my mental health was. And I know how desperate I was to be in a better place. And so things like that make me incredibly, like, uncomfortable for myself, but just angry because I know there's so many especially now where like you know teenagers at school have access to TikTok and Instagram and all of these things which I was blessedly you know um I'm old enough to have skipped that like I was kind of like thankful for those years yeah like I was pretty much like the last generation that didn't have to deal with that extra layer of bullshit at school (laughs) um and I just think of these poor like again i'm i'm like thinking mostly of women and girls because generally speaking we are um the bigger targets for these kind of companies just how especially like as teenagers how vulnerable they are how so badly they want to fit in and you know you get these promises of you know, change your, like, wall Pilates is the one that is hounding me at the moment. I don't know why, but every time I go on anything, Pinterest, bloody Instagram, wall Pilates comes up and it's like, you could look like this in 28 days. And I'm just like, bullshit. And the diets as well. And I just think, like, it's so harmful because there are so many people that are young enough, naive enough, or desperate enough to believe it. And either, like, they start and they can't maintain it because for anything to actually be effective in such a short amount of time, it has to be extreme. Like, obviously no one's getting the results that you see in the videos because like the the woman that started at the beginning, like if we're to believe like the video, that woman already looked pretty much like she looked at the end. She was just wearing a baggy t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, number one, it has to be extreme. Number two, like you say, it's because of that, it, it, it isn't maintainable. And so, like, you hit a wall at the end of it. And number three, it's just this idea of, you know, everything can be achievable if we just, this, like, short, intense kind of period of either, like, starvation, fucking diet pills where you're just basically shitting all the time because they're just laxatives. You know, you've got, like, these exercise routines or all these like different challenges all the time and it just makes me sad because especially sorry I've, this went from a question to a rant I've just realized <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me sad because I know like how vulnerable and sponge-like my brain was when I was a teenager And my son was saying the other day, he was like, I'm not really interested in any of the girls at school because they're all the same person. Like they're all trying to be the same person. And other than just being incredibly proud of my kid, I was just like, this is the problem is that before all of this stuff, we were too busy trying to fit in. But now there's, they're all trying to be something that doesn't exist following these horrific like diet regimes or you know like the teas and the pills and all the rest of it you see it a lot in like particularly men's fitness as well in the sense of i always come back to this you look at wolverine and the latest films and the body expectations of what a fit man is 
versus Wolverine in the first film, where he's nowhere near as buff. But mm-hmm. that's stuff that is shifting towards the guys as well. Go, going on to because Becky, in your bio on your website, you obviously mentioned that you've had obviously phases of being too skinny, of having sort of um, mindset issues around food. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you? How have you worked through that, and how have you tried to overcome going from that wanting of being incredibly skinny to you know having a healthy body? And what are the impacts and the effects that that has have has had on your health over the years? So, firstly, wanting to be skinny doesn't make you happy just putting that out there like I as you said I wanted to be skinny that was all I focused on I would not eat much food was constantly focusing on my abs and to the point that when you get to that point you don't think you're there so you just keep pushing you never Mm. ever are satisfied with yourself I look back on pictures of me from like three four years ago and I think oh my god I was so skinny but in my head I was the biggest person ever like the way I had to get out of it was by and it's not as easy as just like pushing a button and it happens but focusing on things that are not weight related goals so like I said I went to the gym quite a lot so I started weightlifting more I got a PT and I started focusing on strength-based goals so that I could see my muscles increasing and strength building up um, and trying to take the focus away on weight it's never completely gone and like I've just I had a baby six months ago and it's all come back a lot since then because obviously mm-hmm. your body completely changes when you have a child. And again, there's a lot of pressure to bounce back and get your body back straight away. And it's it's hard. And but as I said, like focusing on weight is hard. And I have been weighing myself, and sometimes it's a good tool for me, and other times weighing myself is the worst thing I can do because you can be the same weight. And look completely different depending on your body composition mm-hmm. so it like focusing on being skinny is the worst thing you can do and i've gone on around and forgotten what, to do. <laughs> what were the effects of obviously moving from i want to be as skinny as possible to actually mm-hmm. focusing on you know health what are uh, the impacts that has had on you like how how have you felt after doing that so when i was at my skinniest my hair was falling out all the time and completely thin i was tired all the time i didn't have the energy to things do the things I was doing. I was going to a million cardio classes and dying every time. Whereas now that I am focusing on my health and that side of things, like one, I was able to grow a baby and do it in a great way because I actually focus on my health and feeding my child. Mm-hmm. And I'm a lot less tired. My hair is the healthiest it has ever been because I'm eating the food that's got the nutrients in it to make it grow and flourish. Like my skin is better if I look at pictures back when I was my skinniest, like you can see it in my face and my skin, like I don't look healthy. Whereas when you eat properly, like everything about you glows and feels better because you're giving yourself what you need. Mm. There's so many changes that happen from eating healthy. It's not just a case of a weight thing. Like it's everything that it does to your body. Like you're a happier person around people. If you starve yourself, you're miserable because you're always grumpy and angry and wanting food. Whereas if you're happy and you've eaten something, you are happy around the people you are and you have better friendships and better relationships. I love that. Um, Just picking up on, um, because I I wanted to ask about this anyway, but you brought up the fact that you had a baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, Congrats. I mean, I've said it already. It'd be weird, wouldn't it? Just at this point. Uh, Congratulations on your... (laughs) (laughs) Our old age, seven. (laughs) <laughs> just they've just left college um 
do you have any tips for people that like like you say that have struggled with their identity around food um or have had you know dis like dysphoric episodes any kind of eating uh challenges and have then had a baby because I know for me when I was pregnant it's the only time in my entire life that I felt comfortable with my body because I was like I know for a fact it's supposed to look like this I finally have a place where I fit I am supposed to be round um but then obviously having the baby like you say this whole fucking bounce back thing my (laughs) god I hate those two words together with a fury um so like for any any person that has a baby it's a challenging time like taking even just taking the baby out of it it's a challenging time because you know your body has changed you're trying to get back to some kind of semblance where your brain works um do you have any kind of like tips or just suggestions for people to just try and keep them anchored um around that time and how to you know maintain a healthy relationship um with their body if that yeah. makes sense so firstly the reason that people are okay when they're pregnant and the reason I was okay with food when I was pregnant is because we're really good at caring about others and not ourselves mm. and when you're pregnant you're caring about the child <laughs> therefore you eat because you know the child needs it whereas when that baby's no longer in your body you care about feeding them you, you mm-hmm. give them help you do the thing but you don't care about you anymore because that baby's not in you (laughs) like I think that's the biggest thing however you do need to still if you are someone that does things for others and not yourself that child is looking up at you and like you said like there's all these kids at school now that are sat there going through Instagram wanting to be whoever if they've got a mum at home that is constantly picking at themselves or on diets or restricting food or moaning about chocolate for being bad for you, that's how they will grow up. Whereas if you use that, not use the child, but use them as a reason, use to be like this child came out of me, I grew that baby, I did that thing, they need to look at me like I'm the best thing ever, you need to show them that you love your body no matter what it looks like and you feel good as who you are because otherwise they won't and you don't want them to not feel like that so why should you feel like that i love that sorry go on no one of the things i come back to a lot that i can't even remember i picked it up at this point i know that i've used it on both of you at some point is uh, (laughs) the whole if you had the choice if you woke up and you had the choice between feeling crappy or feeling good you would choose to feel good and obviously what we're talking about here are a lot of those micro decisions that help mm-hmm. people get to the point where they feel better. And mm-hmm. I, it, it, the human mind is just fascinating when it comes to that stuff, because like, I know that I'm the type of person who does believe some of those myths and weird things that you grow up with. Like the fact that um, I won't, <laughs> I'm trying to think how I say this. Someone that both me and Becky know very well had a conniption when I had Weetabix in the afternoon, because you don't have Weetabix after breakfast. That's so and, funny. Yeah, and it's it's one of my things that I come to, like, I've, I mentioned it before with um, lessons that we learned in English, where, like, if I start a sentence with and or because, like, I uh-huh. feel like because I was told you should never do that. And now if I ever have more than three biscuits at once, I feel like a proper naughty <laughs> little boy. And it's just, it's just fascinating. You have all these little decisions, and we know what the good is, and we know the things that won't help us as much. And yet, we're all human enough to have that part of us that goes, yeah, but 
just today this is easier just today is easier and it's hard and you obviously mentioned there um a few times throughout this about uh it's not just about food you have obviously have the exercise component as well and while that isn't necessarily the thing that you're qualified in and probably we won't go into that too much because i'm aware of time um how important is some form of exercise alongside obviously trying to eat right to make your body work as best it can massively cool like, thanks for joining us everyone um, <laughs> <laughs> no it it's huge like it doesn't have to be going to the gym it doesn't have to be like running miles and miles and miles but moving your body like there's obviously two components of it there's the cardio side of it for your heart and then there's the strength side of it for your bones and muscles if you want to get to be able to live your life and grow old you need to look after those things therefore going for walks just to get your heart rate up or even playing football in the garden with your kid or whatever it is will work on your heart health if you want to work on your muscles and your bones then doing little activities, whether it's body weight things at home or going to the gym and lifting weights or things like that, it's going to build that so that then you've got a body that can carry you till you are old and not be someone that struggles with it and has fractures and breaks and arthritis and all of those things. Mm. Like It's about looking after you now so that you have a you to have when you're older. You're better at analogies than me, but you know. <laughs> I thought that was beautiful. <laughs> string will on um one more question for me i don't know if you've got anything else you want to add sam before i go into my last question i think i'm sure that there was like one oh that's what i was going to ask um just again around kind of um children and by the way i love that um i wasn't expecting that take and I really love that idea because, like you say, a lot of people, especially when you're a parent, you stop giving a shit about yourself because, you know, we're taught that to be a parent is to be a martyr. And actually, not just with food, but with anything, that's a it's a really crappy, not not just life, but tactic to take. Because, you know, if you if you know anything about kids, you know, they don't do what they're told, but they will do what they see. Mm-hmm. And so, like, examples are important. Um, what I was going to ask is, do you have any tips on um, how to essentially say you're looking at, you know, your own life and you're trying to re-educate your emotions and all everything else that you have connected with food, but you also have a family? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of the people in our community kind of gave up on writing for a while and then came back to it later in life when they have you know partners and family members children all that kind of thing do you have any tips on kind of how to either include people in that or have tips on on how to be resilient against the naysayers because you know there's always people that know better than you because they've been on facebook um so I was just wondering if you, you know, if you had any tips on kind of how to maintain or start a, I'm going to say healthy because I, I'm with you on the whole like good food, bad food diets and all, like the whole language around it is toxic because of the essentially marketing companies. Um, any tips on how to kind of start or continue a healthy lifestyle? Um when you are not the only person in your household yeah so firstly 
if you are starting it, you should talk to the people in your household. They should be aware. They should care and they should want to help you because that is a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is going to agree with what you're doing. As you said, everyone's got their own ways of doing it and that's okay. Um, But just remember that it's for you and you know it's going to make you feel better. If you've got kids, get them to cook with you, get them to come up with recipe ideas or say pick a food and then make a meal out of it, like make it fun because then they're excited for it and you're excited to make it for them again because we do stuff for others and not ourselves. Um, but ideally you want your partner to join in and help you but if they don't then that's fine they can cook their food and you do your food Mm -hmm. you should encourage each other and want to help each other yeah agreed I I am known uh in the sprints for when someone is saying that their partner is not being very supportive for something I'm I'm known for quite loudly just going leave them so (laughs) I agree they should be supportive It goes down very well. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, people love people. So my my final question, I'm going to give you a scenario, if that's okay. Um, you are approached by a 30-something, and this isn't specific to me, a 30-something author, could be male, could be female, all, right, a family, all that kind of stuff. They have a full-time job. They're very, very busy. They want to improve how they eat and they want more energy and to just live a healthier life. They approach you and say, I want to work with you. What does that process look like? How would you take that person and what would the first few weeks of working with them look like? So the first thing I would do is find out about their day and what their lifestyle is like at the minute. So what the kind of foods they are eating at the minute, how often they drink water, how often they drink caffeine, how active they are. Uh, As I said, what a day in the life of them looks like. And I then would work out their calories and their macronutrients for them in order to work out how much energy to give them to make sure they feel their best. Um, and then from that, they would have a call with me and then going forward, I would set them weekly goals and then normally something food related, whether it is just track your food this week or it's make sure you're eating three lots of vegetables or whatever it is, a small achievable thing. They would then have an activity based one. So it might be get this many steps this week or try a new class or go out for a walk with your dog every day, that kind of thing. And then a habit based one, which tends to be normally at the start it's around drinking water because people aren't very good at it (laughs) and so just focusing on that and then as the weeks go on I obviously learn more about them and we work on how to fit things around their schedule so like you said if it's an author that's always sat at the desk what snacks can we have next to you how can we get you up and moving around can we get you a walking desk can we get you to write outside to get some fresh air those kind of things to make you feel healthier and better but the small things rather than massive changes that aren't going to fit into your life and then you don't end up doing or listening to me mm-hmm. weirdly a lot of the stuff we preach on activated authors what <laughs> i love it that's perfect well that does bring us to the end of this episode so thank you so much becky for jumping on and joining us um before we do part where can people find out about everything that you've got going on so I have an Instagram, which is at Food Freedom with Becca. Becca is with K's. And the website is also foodfreedomwithbecca.com. Wonderful. And Sam, no pressure. We got anything to promote? <laughs> Do we have anything to promote? Um, no. No, that's it. But I will say we do have a wonderful community that is free. Um, and it is full of just incredible people that have found a home and want to support each other 
and you probably would want to check it out if you are a writer i'm sorry i'm just my my dog is currently um just doing a whole thing with their paws and it's it's uh, distracting me mm-hmm. um and like i say it's completely free discord community and you can find out more about that at activatedauthors.com forward slash joy yeah bam they all do um i haven't finished oh, and <laughs> um if you wanted to engage in the sprints and that kind of thing then we have um a paid tier for that and you can come hang out with me dan and the inner circle gang and uh get get your writing done with us that's at activatedauthors.com forward slash join also now i'm done now oh cool i was just i was just waiting (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing left to say then other than a massive thank you to you the listeners for tuning in we appreciate you and the time you choose to spend with us each and every week and as always if you're looking to level up your writing and activate your author career as sam says head over to activatedauthors.com and you'll find out everything we've got going on one more time from myself from sam and from my little sister becky we will see you next week (laughs) (laughs) activate your energy